All right. All right. Let's uh, let's all stand together. Turn in our hymn books to hymn 105. Hymn 105. Go tell it on the mountain. We'll sing the entire song. Hymn 105. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching for silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. T'was in a humble manger that Jesus Christ was born. The God of all creation became a child at morn. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Number three. He came to die for sinners, take away our sin, that we may know salvation and be complete in Him. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. That Jesus Christ is born. Good morning. Welcome to my favorite service all year long. It's baby day at White Oak Baptist Church. We have a couple of babies we're going to dedicate today. And we're just really excited about that. Boy, what an adventurous week it's been. We've had snowfalls. Uh, uh, It's been nuts. Last Sunday I went up to the hospital to check on a church member after our uh, cantata. And I got a call, one of those dreaded phone calls you don't want to get. Angela called me and said, hey, I've just been in an accident. And, oh, my heart dropped in my shoes. I said, is everybody okay? She said, yes. She said, but uh, my Jeep is not okay. My Jeep's been hit. And so um, uh, this week um, uh, we had that put in the shop. And I went to the um, uh, Oxford Airport Enterprise. I didn't even know Oxford had an airport, but they do. And uh, they, you know, they uh, they deal with a lot of like high end people. So I drove away in a Cadillac SUV and I say I will probably I will never own one of those. But uh, but uh, we are really enjoying that. So if you see us riding around in it, we did not get a pay raise to make sure that that's clear. It's uh, temporary. So uh, but anyway, it's been a good week. I'm glad all of you are here and uh, some familiar faces and then some new faces in the crowd. And we're. Uh, just excited about what God's going to do in our midst today as we focus on the family today all day long. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Before we do that, why don't we do this? Turn around and shake someone's hand around you. We'll come back and sing that chorus in just a minute.
Sing it with me on the chorus. Here we go. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And one sad note to pass along. Uh, Brother Ed Cowan, who's been a member of our church for quite a while, he did pass away uh, this past week, Monday in the afternoon. And the uh, memorial service, they, he was cremated. The memorial service has been scheduled by the family. The earliest they could get everybody together is January 6th. It's that Saturday, January 6th at 11 a.m. And so if you're able to come and support the family on that day, that would be great. But let's pray for him and pray for the family, as well as others who are not able to be here today due to sicknesses. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to give us a good day in his house. Pastor Mike, please come pray for us. Lord, Father, thank you for this day you've given to us. Thank you for your mercies, which are fresh and new each morning. We do pray you would meet with us uh, this morning, Lord. Thank you for the day. Thank you so much for loving us. Everything that is uh, said and done, may you superintend it. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Please open your hymn books again to hymn uh, 103. I heard the bells. 103. We'll sing the entire song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, good will to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the broken song of peace on earth, good will to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, good will to men. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, good will to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolve from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, good will to men. I want to take just a moment out of the service to recognize any visitors we have with us. And so, ushers, you can make your way forward. If uh, this is your first time visiting or your first time in a good long time uh, being with us, if you wouldn't mind, just quickly slip up your hand. We'd love to give you a gift as well as a connection card. Is there anyone like that here in the crowd today? Uh, we have one gentleman in the back here, uh, Walter. Uh, he delivered pizza here for a party yesterday and decided to come back today. So, thrilled to death to have you. Thank you for coming. And uh, we've got a lady over here visiting with us. Thank you so much for coming today. And let's see, Marcia, do you want to introduce your guest? 
Very good, very good. We'll feel that to have both of you in the service. As our uh, Lexan, you have somebody with you this morning, don't you? Very good. You've been here before, but it's good to have you back. Very good. And some people here for the second time, and thrilled to death to have you as well. All right, very good. At this time, we're going to take a few minutes out of our service, and we're going to uh, call some families up to the platform, and we're going to uh, dedicate them to the Lord. And so let's first, let me grab my notes just a minute All right, first we're going to have uh, Jason and Joy Magnarella come on up and with their daughter, with their daughter, um, Riley Ray Magnarella. What do you think about all those people out there and behind you? All right. We're going to pray over Riley and just ask God to bless her and that she would be a fine young lady for the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you so much for sweet little Riley. Thank you for a wonderful opportunity to have her in our church. And Lord, her mom and dad who love each other and love her. And Lord, we pray that you would give Riley a long life of peace and joy. Uh, Lord, would you keep her safe? Would you teach her lessons along the way that would make her the best young lady she can be? And Lord, we pray that at a young age, she would understand the gospel of salvation and she would come to receive it. And Lord, that she would live a life that's dedicated to you, live a life that pleases you. We think about one day down the road where she may potentially get married. And God, would you lead her to just the perfect man that you're planning for her in that time? And Lord, help her to be a young lady that would please you with everything she says and does. And Lord, may the body of the work of her life be one that glorifies you. Thank you for her mom and her dad. We pray, God, that you would help them to be godly parents that would raise her right. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we got through one. We got one more to go here. Let's have, uh, let's have Alexis Ortiz and Jesse James Narvez come on up to the platform. And we're going to um, dedicate Jesse James uh, Narvaez, am I saying that nar- right? No, Navarez. All right, let me have a little. We're going to do this quick. Can you say hi to all those people out there? All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for little JJ. We ask God that you'd help him to be a young man that grows up to love you. And Lord, would you help him to honor you with his life? And, Lord, we pray for his mom and his dad that they would do their best in raising him. We sure do love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Very good. Open. This is for you, All right. Very good. Excited for these. Excited for these. After church, we'll take some pictures down front as well. Very good. All right. At this time, we look forward to hearing our choir come and bless our heart with song.
us take our hymnals and stand once again together and turn to hymn 107. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Hymn 107 will sing the entire song. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Number two. From God our Heavenly Father, a blessed angel came, and unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same, how that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name. Comfort and joy, oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Number three, fear not, then said the angel, let nothing you affright. This day is born a Savior of a virgin bride to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Number four. Now to the Lord sing praises, all you within this place. And with true love and brotherhood, each other now embrace. This holy tide of Christmas, all others does efface. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. You may be seated. Ushers, if you would please make your way forward for the collection of the offering. Those of you that are visiting, we all hand out a bulletin uh, with our announcements and things that are going on uh, throughout our church. Uh, please be aware of those. Um, and if you are a visitor and visiting today, if you would take the connection card, uh, just fill it out, hand it to the uh, ushers as they make their way down um, this moment, and uh, we'll have a record of your visits. If I could have Mike and Kowski pray for this morning's offering, please.
the dark of the midnight have I oft hid my face, while the storm howls above me, and there's no hiding place. Mid the crash of the thunder, precious Lord, hear my cry, keep me safe till the storm passes by. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Many times Satan whispered, there is no need to try, for there's no end of sorrow, there's no hope by and by. But I know thou art with me, and tomorrow I'll rise, where the storm's never dark in the skies. When the long night is ended, and the storms come no more, let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore, in that land where the tempest never comes. Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes by. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Keep me safe. Thank you so much. Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bibles. Inside, inside the bulletins this morning, uh, there was a Christmas card from our family. And if you have not uh, gotten a Christmas card from our family or there wasn't one in your bulletin by chance, there are some extras on the back table. And so a very Merry Christmas from the Lejeune family uh, to each of you. And uh, we uh, are uh, thrilled to death to uh, be here and get to serve the Lord alongside with the good people of White Oak Baptist Church. I wanted to highlight some things uh, for everyone before we move on here. Next week we will not be having traditional Sunday school. Um, Next week we're going to be having a Sunday school Christmas party. And this has been an annual tradition in the church here for many, many years. And so... At 9.45, the children will meet in their room, and they'll have a Christmas party down there. And all of the adult classes will meet together upstairs in our fellowship hall. There will be uh, food brought by the various classes, and we will enjoy those. If you're not sure about Sunday school, you're not sure about uh, joining it or being a part of it, let me encourage you to come next week. You can meet uh, the various people that attend, and you can get to know them uh, very. Uh, you get to know them on some level. Uh, and that would be a, a good uh, entrance point for you. And then from there, the following week, you can jump into a class. Um, a couple of other things I wanted to take just a moment and, uh, and emphasize. 
Uh, we do have a candlelight service coming up on December 24th. That will also be next Sunday evening. It will not be a traditional Sunday evening service next week. It will last one hour from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. And the deacons are going to read the Christmas story. The lights in the auditorium will be dimmed. Uh, we'll, uh, end this, uh, there will be a gospel sermon preached. We'll end the service with uh, candles being lit and the singing of Silent Night together as a crowd. So uh, it's going to be a great time. It'll be a community event. So invite your friends and family out uh, for a uh, good time with that. And so if you can make plans to be a part of that, that would be great. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 23 together collectively out loud. And we will continue on reading the odd verses responsibly together. I will read the even verses uh, alone, and you can follow along with those. Let's begin in verse 23. The Bible says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Did you guys read that with me? Let's read that one out loud together. We're going to do the odd verses together, okay? Make sure my instructions are clear. Let's begin in verse 23 together. Here we go. Ready? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he hath respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. We're going to look at this topic tonight. Let's dedicate the parents first. And this sermon will be uh, to the two, parent, to two families that dedicated a child, as well as everyone else who has children. And the rest of you are welcome to listen in and glean some important truths. Let's pray. God, I ask today that you'd help us to... Uh, see from your word exactly uh, some relevant things that will help us uh, in 2017. We're looking at a book that was written thousands of years ago, but is still so relevant to, to us today. And so as we look at some parenting truths, and we consider the dark days we live in, where sin is prevalent and all around us, Lord, I pray our hearts would be moved to uh, want to raise children who are righteous, children who are... Uh, consumed with, uh, Lord, uh, doing uh, things right in a world that does things wrong. And, Lord, for those here today that either have their children out of the house and no grandchildren or, Lord, uh, people that have no direct contact with children, I pray the message in some way would encourage them as well as we look at this topic. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Each year we take time out of our service and... We make a big deal about the babies that God has gifted our church family. Uh, we are so blessed to have young families in the church uh, that are uh, doing their part to see our numbers here at White Oak Baptist Church grow. And so to those that are uh, giving the church little babies, thank you for helping uh, expand our church. And uh, those that uh, are eating a lot of food, you're doing your part as well. Amen. Um, 
never discount the value of a child. Never, ever discount the value of a child. D.L. Moody once uh, went from a church on Sunday morning to another church Sunday night, and he gave a testimony. He said, we had two and a half baptized uh, this morning at the church I was at. And a gentleman shouted out, he said, you, you had uh, 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 two adults baptized and a child? He said, no, I had two children baptized and an adult. He said, the, the adult's life is half over. The children still have their whole life in front of them. And uh, you never, ever discount the value of a child. You might remember that the disciple, the, the, the children were trying to make their way to Jesus, and the disciples were pushing them away, saying, the master's too busy for you. And Jesus said, no, suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. This idea of a baby being a big deal in the Bible goes back even into the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 8, verse 2 tells us, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, Hast thou, God, ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal, steal the enemy and the avenger? God, uh, God uses the small to confound the large. God has used babies to steal, excuse me, to steal or disarm his avengers or his attackers. Babies that are babies today are world leaders tomorrow. World leaders tomorrow. Uh, babies today are the pastors of tomorrow. Babies today are the doctors and the lawyers and the CEOs and the blue-collar workers that pay the way for their children and their grandchildren. And one thing is certain this morning, and that is that time does not stand still. Time does not stand still. Once today is gone, you'll never get it back. You'll never get it back. What you do with your time and how you invest that time into the next generation, boy, it makes a difference. It makes a big difference. Here at White Oak Baptist Church, we do not baptize babies because it is not biblical to baptize babies. We have several folks here that are coming to our church uh, several people in the service today, I'd say there's probably six or seven families here today that you're relatively new to our church. And uh, this area that we're in is highly Catholic, highly Catholic. And I'm not uh, my, my uh, point today is not to take a shot at the Catholic Church or uh, undermine them or attack them in any way. But we are a Baptist church. And so we do things a little bit different. And you might wonder, well, what's different about the Baptist church than the Catholic church? And I would say this, that uh, here at White Oak Baptist Church, what we try to do is we try to be biblicists. Biblicists. What does that mean? That means we take the Bible and we try to teach it exactly the way it is, exactly the way it is. Now, we take a lot of rituals and traditions and we toss them out if they're not in here. And we just try to follow the Bible because this is God's holy book that he's given us. And this is what we want to follow. And you might say, well, do you have rituals and traditions in the Baptist church? And I would say that there are some. Uh, but my attitude toward them, and I believe the mature Christian's attitude toward them in the church is that those can come and go if they're not in the Bible. The Bible is what we want to stand on. And one of those uh, uh, things that seems to permeate church culture uh, around the world is this idea of baptizing babies. And I would just say this to you. Try to find anywhere in the Bible that a baby's been baptized. And, and you can't. Because that concept's just not found in the Bible. So here at our church, because it isn't in the Bible, 
we don't do it. Uh, a few minutes ago, I held uh, little JJ and little Riley, and um, uh, little Riley uh, gave me a little bit easier time than little JJ, right? Uh, I was here at a birthday party for JJ yesterday, and I was trying to play ball with him, right? Where, where are his parents? They're over here. Here they are. I was trying to play ball with him, trying to warm him up to me, and he wasn't having any of it. Uh, but uh, we were trying here. But a few minutes ago, I held them, and we prayed over them, and we asked that God uh, would uh, use them mightily and in a great way, and that they would be beacons of righteousness as adults one day in a world of wickedness. You might say, well, where does that concept come from? Well, this concept is taken out of the book of 1 Samuel. When Hannah dedicated Samuel uh, to serve the Lord by handing him over to the priest to be raised in the temple. Now, Samuel, Samuel would become one of Israel's greatest prophets. And while it is important that we give our children over to the Lord and we say, God, you gave me this child to raise uh, on uh, 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 in reality, they're on lease from you to me as a parent. And I'm going to give them back to you one day uh, when they reach adulthood and they move on out of the house. While that's a great attitude to have that we're going to give our children to the Lord, uh, parents, we must first give ourselves to the Lord if we want us, if we want our children to be given to the Lord. So, hence the title this morning of Let's Dedicate the Parents First. Mom and Dad, you can't expect your children to follow the Lord with their life if you're not going to set the example of following the Lord with your life. With your life. Are you with me this morning? You've got to be dedicated to the Lord yourself if you want your children to be, uh, to live a life of dedication. Uh, something that our church culture has taught us, and I don't mean this church, I just mean the church culture of America and really even the world as a whole has taught us that somehow a pastor will either baptize my baby or pray over my baby, and it's like this magic spoofle dust that falls on top of them. And then they're going to magically be good for the rest of their life. And i got to tell you that I don't have anywhere up here in my pocket in the pulpit any spoofle dust. It doesn't exist. Raising children to do right boils down to two words. Hard work. And I've got to tell you, I've got to be honest with you, there are still are no guarantees. Still are no guarantees. I'm here to tell you today that you can do everything to the best of your ability to follow the Lord. That child of yours has a mind of his own. Mind of her own. And they have their own free will. They've got to choose to do what's right because they want to do what's right. But I do believe there are some things you can do to greatly help that process along and set your child up for a very good chance of success. Um, I have this here in my notes. I want to make sure I get this in here. What good is it to have the pastor pray over your baby if you're going to model sinful behavior in front of him for the next 18 years of his life? Doesn't do any good. What effect will it have on your child if the pastor asks God to bless your child's life and you model a weak, spiritually anemic life in front of that same child? The truth is that before Elkanah and Hannah, the parents of Samuel, would dedicate him to the Lord, they first had to be dedicated themselves. I propose that the greatest gift of dedication that you can uh, give your child is to dedicate yourself 
by living by the Bible and doing your best to model by its principles uh, and do that each and every day. Now, the sermon today is going to be one of a whole lot of parental advice. I have God has given my wife and I an eight-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl. And I got to tell you that uh, the teen years are are waiting for us. Okay, we don't have it all figured out. Our children aren't perfect. Uh, I like to believe they're pretty well behaved, uh, but uh, that you know that whole change of of, of body, 13, 12, 11, 14 is coming. And uh, we've yet to, to, to cross over into that. And so I'm not standing up here today pretending like I have all the answers. I haven't faced it all. I haven't seen it all. Uh, but I am going to take the Bible, which I believe has some instructions, and I'm going to give it to you from a biblical standpoint. And I hope today that you'll sit up uh, straight and tall and listen. Those that I uh, prayed over your children, this sermon is dedicated specifically to you. Obviously, if you have children in the room, the sermon today will be very applicable. And I'll say that everything I'm going to give you today, it's going to sort of be like trying to drink out of a fire hose. I'm going to give you a whole lot more information than you can probably handle. So I would recommend you take copious notes and maybe even go back and listen online to the sermon or buy the CD out of the bookstore. And then uh, you can um, uh, gather more there. We're going to look at four thoughts this morning on this topic of let's dedicate the parents first. Number one is this, the innocence of a child. The innocence of a child. You You have your Bibles there in Hebrews 11, right? Can you flip over to Exodus chapter 2? Uh, uh, Hebrews 11, we were looking there at uh, the Hall of Faith, as it's been named. Uh, the, Bic- uh, the Hebrews chapter 11 has all of the different heroes of the Bible, or those that stood by the faith uh, to the end of their lives. And so we find Moses in there. Exodus chapter 2 tells the whole story that Hebrews 11 is sort of the cliff notes of for his life. And Exodus chapter 2 verse 6, we find just how innocent that little baby Moses is. Look at verse 6 there. It says, And when she had opened it, this is Pharaoh's daughter, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. The baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And so the backstory here is that the Israelites had found their way uh, into Egypt. They had become enslaved by the Egyptian folks. Egypt is almost always a picture of sin in the Bible or a land of sin, a land of being lost. And so that's where they were. They were enslaved by the Egyptians. And uh, one day Pharaoh was walking around and he saw all of the Hebrew boys, the Israeli boys, and he thought, good night. These Israelis, they are uh, they're popping out a lot of babies and they're going to be bigger than we are at some point, And then they're going to enslave us. We got to do something about this. So uh, Pharaoh passes a law and says that the baby girl Girls can live, but the baby boys need to be drowned in the river. And the Hebrew handmaids ignored the law. And so Pharaoh buckled down and he uh, began to send his soldiers through to make sure that this law is being followed. Well, uh, God gave uh, a, a little child to a Hebrew family and his name was Moses. Uh, his name was Moses. And uh, the Bible tells us in Exodus 2, they looked on him and saw that he was a goodly baby. And that mom just could not bring herself to see that baby killed. And so she kept the pregnancy a secret, and she kept the birth a secret, and she kept that baby quiet for about three months. A baby's cry when it's first born uh, can be concealed. But once once the lungs begin to develop, all bets are off. All bets are off. 
And so the mom is thinking, well, people are going to figure out there's a baby boy in here. And so she makes a little bassinet that floats, and she places little baby Moses in there. And during the day, that bassinet gets set out in the little river, and uh, his older sister is asked to keep an eye on that bassinet and then to bring it back to mom. Well, one day the bassinet got picked up in a current and began to flow, and that bassinet floated down toward the, the Pharaoh's castle, and Pharaoh's daughter came out, and she was bathing herself out there in the water, and this bassinet comes floating up to Pharaoh's daughter, and there is a screaming, crying child on the inside. And I'm sure that uh, his sister was standing there thinking, you better keep your mouth shut. Don't cry. Don't cry. And he's crying louder and louder and louder. Why? Because little Moses is innocent. He doesn't know he's not supposed to cry. He doesn't cry and not cry on cue. He just cries because he's supposed to cry. Because that's what babies do. They cry. And as the story goes, Pharaoh's daughter picked up this bassinet. And she, uh, she looked down inside. And her heart was torn. Her heart was torn because she knew this baby was supposed to die, but she didn't want it to die. And so she runs to dad and she says, dad, can I keep him? Can I keep him? Can I keep him? And the dad's thinking, no, that's not the law. The law is he's got to die. And then she probably looked back at dad and said, come on, dad. What can one Hebrew boy do if she only knew? If she only knew what little baby Moses would do. As the story goes, uh, uh, his sister, Moses' sister, looks at Pharaoh's daughter and says, Hey, I know someone that can watch him for you. And uh, Moses' mother gets paid to nurse and take care of her own child. And uh, when the baby was done being nursed, biblically that would have been till three or four, uh, the age of three or four there, uh, uh, she, then, Pharaoh, or then Moses was handed over to live in Pharaoh's court. The Bible word for innocent in Proverbs is the word simple. Simple. And it carries this idea of each child being a blank sheet. A blank sheet. Now, I want to throw a, a chart up here for you. I read in a book sometime back. Throw that next slide up there for me. Um, I don't know if you can see that from where you're at. I'm going to do my best to try to explain this to you. At birth, every child is 100% dependent on his mom and his dad and 0% dependent on himself. All that a newborn baby can do is, is eat, sleep, cry, and go to the bathroom. That's really about the beginning and the end of it. And so that child is 100% dependent on mom and dad. By the time a child gets to 21, that child is 0% dependent, in most cases, on mom and dad, and 100% dependent on um, uh, himself. That's how it's supposed to work. All right. Some of you are nudging your 22-year-old. 20, Some of you are nudging your 40-year-old. Get out of the house. Parents, if you do your job right. It, um, you see there at uh, 2, it's 95% dependent. At 4, 90% dependent. At 6, 80% dependent. At 8, 70% dependent. By the time they get to about the age of 10, they're 50% dependent on you. Uh, by the time they're 13, they're 40% dependent. By the time they're 18, they're only 10% dependent. And then again, ideally at 21, they're 0% dependent. So uh, there's a lot I could pull out of here. I don't have time to really dive into this chart. Uh, I'll pull out a couple of things really quick. Uh, there are uh, many parents struggle with rebellious teenagers. 
And the problem is twofold. The problem is the teenager thinks that they're capable of more dependence than they actually are. Uh, what are most teenagers good at? Video games, texting, technology. But you ask a 15-year-old, what, uh, uh, how do you figure out the entrance on a mortgage? They'll go, huh? What? Right? Um, uh, what do you look for uh, when you're going out to buy a new car? What are the uh, schemes out there that seem to trip up a lot of young folks? They don't know. They don't know. And so many teenagers, uh, they think that they're more independent than they really are. And then the other mistake that a lot of parents that are, that are made with teenagers is that the parents don't understand how independent their child is. And so they want to treat their 15-year-old like they're a 9-year-old. And parents, I have to say, listen, you've got to learn how to back off. I've seen parents when their child, and again, I don't know of anyone in the room that's done this, so if you've done this, I promise I'm not picking on you. I'm not thinking of anybody's name when I say this. But I've seen parents that when their child turns uh, uh, 21 that they still want to coddle them and, and, and hover over them and try to control them. And i got to say, if you've raised your 21-year-old uh, right, then that 21-year-old should be ready to go out in the world and attack it and need you to back off and, and let them do that. But we see here that a child begins very, very, very uh, dependent on you. Let me show you some pictures here this morning. I'm going to use this uh, to make a point. Um, you can throw the next pictures up. Uh, throw them up there for about three or four seconds at a time. That's a picture of a tree. Uh, of, of the, These are trees that have been shaped, very carefully shaped. And uh, that takes a lot, whole lot of work. Those two trees working together. Is that the last one we got? Um, what we have here is somebody took the time when these trees were very small and coming out of the ground to work to form them in a certain way. Now, there's a very profound truth in this. From the time a child's born till about the time the child is four or five, that is when they're the most moldable and shapeable. I have parents come in my office with a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old, and they say, my child's rebellious, what do I do? And there is some, still some hope to fix it. But the older they get, the tougher it gets, because you, you can shape a tree when it's first coming out of the ground. You can't shape a tree when it's come out and been out of the ground for three or four years. Boy, at that time, it's, it's set. It's hard. Moms with babies here today, please hear what I'm about to tell you. That from, what, can you just give me the, um, the pulpit here? I'll stand still. That time from birth until they're four are so critical. Those years are so very critical. I can't emphasize enough to you how, much, how critical they are. And you make sure that you are, mom and dad, the number one influencer in that child's life. We live in a day and age where we're so addicted to making money and having such a nice, generous lifestyle that we're quick to shovel the baby off to a daycare. And then what happens? The daycare is instilling morals and values at the most critical Time in our child's life. And your financial structure might be where you don't have any other choice. There are single parent structures where this becomes very difficult. But here's what I'll tell you is that if you can stay home with your child the first few years of their life and you can pour your morals and values into that child, they will last a lifetime. Why was it uh, that uh, why was it that Moses was able to stand up to 
Pharaoh's court and choose the affliction of his people instead of um, uh, of the other. Why was it that he was able to do that? The reason was because as a young uh, child, as a baby, his mother was nursing him and and, and quoting to him uh, 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 scripture verses per se. Maybe not because the Bible hadn't really been written at that point. He would actually write the first five books, but quoting to him truths and helping him to understand uh, right from wrong and instilling in him morals and values that would one day carry uh, on. Uh, uh, By the way, Samuel would do the same thing. So number two, we see the influence of a child, the influence of a child. Look it back with me at Hebrews chapter 11, if you would. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 24. The Bible says there, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure, pleasures of sin for a season. At about the age four, Moses's mother was forced to hand him over to Pharaoh's court. By the way, it was better for him to live in Pharaoh's court than to be dead. So I'm sure considering the alternative, she was happy to do it, but he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, he was raised with the finest of educations. He was raised and taught kingly type etiquette, princely etiquette. And but before that, that birth to four years of age, Moses mother must have poured all of the morals and values and truths that she could have uh, uh, and, and did everything she could. And you ask, well, did it pay off? Well, the day came when Moses was a very young adult man and he walked out of the palace and he was faced with a choice. Do I choose Pharaoh's court in the the lap of luxury, or do I choose to suffer as a slave with my people? You say, well, why did he make that choice? Why did he make that choice? Because when the tree of his life was shapeable and moldable, his mom shaped it the right way. Shaped it the right way. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Letter A, notice God's intention. How does this apply to us today? Well, God... God created the family. The family unit was God's idea. This isn't just some evolution process where you had a man and a woman that happened to evolve at the same time. And then the man looks at the woman and says, oh, I think you're pretty. And the woman looks at the man and says, oh, well, I think you're handsome. And they uh, come together and uh, as one. And then a child is birthed out of that process. And this is just all a big accident. That's what the world wants us to believe. I think that that's almost laughable. I think it's almost laughable. God created man and God created woman. In fact, um, letter A with God's intention, we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God's command to uh, the, the structure. It says, therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. By the way, in order for a man to leave his father and his mother, His father and his mother must still be together. You understand that? Now, I'm not here to pick on anyone that uh, is a single parent. Listen, I know of some divorce situations where there was no choice but for the divorce. And my heart bleeds and hurts for those people. I have sat up in my office with divorced people and I have cried my eyes out with them more than once. If that's the scenario you're in, my heart breaks for you. Let me just say this to you moms and dads that are together. Stay together. 
Stay together. Figure it out. Do everything you can to figure it out. Work, work to fight to show your children what commitment are so that this Genesis 2:24 model of a child leaving both father and mother and cleaving under their spouse has a chance to happen. Now, notice the order of the home here. God put Adam and Eve together and married them. And then after he did so, this was the very first command given to mankind. It was this. It was and God blessed them. And God said unto them that be Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So God's plan is first marriage, then children. First marriage, then children. Now, I understand in 2017, that's not a popular sermon to preach. I get it. I understand that the world will tell you that, hey, you can live together and try each other out. And then, hey, if it works, uh, uh, you, you can get married. Statistics don't really support that to be working. In fact, couples that try living together and then get married have a higher divorce rate than couples that uh, get married first uh, before they move in and live together. And I would say that in God's perfect world that uh, you need to do everything you can to be married. If you're here today and, and you have had a child and you're not married and there are probably several couples in the room today that are that way, my uh, challenge to you would be this. Go ahead and get married for the sake of that young one to show them what commitment really is all about. God's intention for the influence of that child is to have a mother and a father who are married to each other and that are committed to each other and are pouring in their influence into that child. Letter B, we see Satan's invasion. Satan's invasion. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, the Bible says, be sober. That means be level headed, be be thinking straight, be vigilant, be on your guard because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let me just say this morning that Satan. Satan hates God. Now, I mean, Satan hates God. Satan hates everything that God has created. God is the creator of the family unit. It's the very first institution that he created. There are three institutions that uh, God authored that can be found in the Bible. And those three are the home, government, and the church. Those are the three institutions. The very first one to be created was the home. And Satan wants to do nothing more than tear apart your family. He wants nothing more than to tear apart my family. If you're here today and you're married, Satan hates your marriage. Hates it. He wants to see you in the divorce court. And if he can't get you in the divorce court, he wants to see you sticking it out, but miserable with each other. And if you're not miserable with each other, he wants to just try to get you to fight this afternoon on the way home uh, from church with each other. Satan hates your marriage. He wants strife in your marriage. Satan hates your, uh, your family. He wants to see, uh, 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 he wants to see your children destroyed and he wants to tear things apart. And I gotta say this morning that Satan is using everything at his disposal to try to accomplish this. He uses the music industry to push a lascivious and, uh, a sensual and sexual lifestyle that will cause pain and hurt and he pushes his lies through with rebellious music and rebellious lyrics. He, uh, uses the movie industry. Have you ever noticed that, and this is subliminal, so pay attention here. I'm not picking on any one company. I'm going to pick on the whole industry as a, at large. Have you ever noticed that most children's movies or, or movies that star a child, um, in those movies, 
that child is being raised by a single parent. Almost every single one. You say, no, think through all the children's movies, you know, I can only think of a couple of children's movies I've seen that have a mom and a dad together. The Incredibles being one of them. Now, I'm not endorsing any films from the pulpit, but that one has a mom and dad together. I can't think of too many other. Now, there are some live in boyfriends and girlfriends and there's a whole lot of single parent. You say, oh, pastor, you're you're just nitpicking. It's subtle. It's subtle. But what message are we communicating? The movie industry is trying to attack the, 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 the moral ground of mom and dad being together. Hey, listen, if you were to try to take the show, you know how they like to take old uh, shows and rehash them and bring them back, old movies? If you were to try to take the show Father Knows Best and bring it back in today, you talk about being rejected. If you were a producer with that idea, you'd probably be expelled from the whole industry. They don't want that show. Father's an idiot. Father doesn't know best. How about in just television shows? Now, again, we're talking about influence. Mom and dad, the best thing you can do is sit down with your children and watch the cartoons that they watch and make sure that they're okay before you just carte blanche, let them watch whatever they want to watch. Um, when I was a teenager, I had uh, little brothers in the house. I've got twin brothers named David and Jonathan that are 12 years younger than I. And uh, I came, I'd come home and see them watching TV. And there was a cartoon that was on the TV. My parents didn't know they were watching it. Once they found out, it was banned from the house. But the name of the cartoon was Fairly Odd Parents. Fairly Odd Parents. How many of you remember that cartoon, Fairly Odd Parents? In that cartoon, I sat and watched a couple episodes with my brothers. Um, Dad was the biggest doofus you've ever seen. And Mom, she was okay, but she wasn't anywhere near as smart as the kids. Right? Um, th- this is the agenda we're pushing through. Satan is using every tool at his, at his dispense. And Mom and Dad, sometimes it's subtle. It's subtle. And so you've got to make sure that you are guarding these things. How about politicians? Politicians. Again, Satan using everything at his disposal. Laws that encourage to uh, couples to live together and not marry. I remember years ago we had a couple that wanted to join our church. And um, um, pastor, my pastor, I was an assistant pastor at the time. He came to me and said, I need you to go talk to this couple about why they're not allowed to, to join the church. Now, if uh, you're here today and you're living together and you're not married, I'll just say this. I'm, I'll be your pastor. You're welcome to sit on the pew and enjoy our church services. And uh, you're welcome uh, here. We want you here. We're going to love on you just the same as everyone else. But the Bible model is that premarital sex is a sin. And I get that that's not popular to say because the culture has made it that way. But the Bible still says that it's a sin. And so I was I was forced to go sit in this couple's living room and and to make it clear to them that they needed to get married before they could join our church. And uh, they looked at me and they said, Pastor, we know that uh, that you're right. We know that the Bible's right. But here's the deal. If we get married, then the check we're getting from the government is going to go way down. Way down. And we need every penny we can get to scrape by. Now, politicians have set it up where couples can live together and make more money than if they get married. And what is this? This is Satan using things to attack. And I would just say that the culture at large 
has a very village mentality. Hillary Clinton wrote a book years ago entitled It Takes a Village. It Takes a Village. And the idea there is that your children don't really belong to you. They belong to the community around you. And it's all of our responsibility to raise them. And it takes a village. Our educational system as well is pushing this idea that you can go get an abortion as a teenage young lady without your parents, a parent's consent. And what are we doing here? We're attacking the family unit. We're trying to tear it down. Let me just say this morning that uh, if something I've said today doesn't sit well with you, listen, I am on a mission to be passionate about truth. I promise you, I love you and I'm not here to attack you or hurt you. I've got to stand by truth. I am called by God to herald out the truth and to stand by it. And my advice to you is uh, to lovingly get in line with the truth and follow it just the same to show your children the biblical model of of living the right way. Letter C here, we see parental intervention, parental intervention. Now, here's really one of the big points I want you to walk away from in the sermon today. What I see from moms and dads as a pastor and as a fellow parent, what I see from moms and dads is that they are oblivious to the fact that there is a war going on for your child's heart. There is a war. Parents, you've got to choose how you're going to 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 mold and shape that child. You've got to choose how to guard against wickedness and sin. You've got to choose very carefully uh, how you're going to make sure that that child gets from birth until they're an adult where they can make their own decisions and they can live their own way. You've got to very carefully guard that child's heart. And you can't have this attitude of, well, if it's on TV, it must be okay. Well, the teacher at the school says that it's okay. Well, uh, they can listen to whatever music. It doesn't matter. My friend, it matters. It matters. It matters. It matters. Let me quickly give you uh, three thoughts here. I don't I believe these would be up on the screen. This is below letter C. I'll move through these quickly. First of all, we must show them. We must show them. I, I uh, every time I, I come to this uh, type of point, I think about the dad who's sitting out on the porch smoking a cigarette. And he says to his son, do what I say, do don't do as I do. And I got to say, sir, your lifestyle speaks louder than your language. Your lifestyle speaks louder than your language. Telling your child not to do something that you're doing carries very little weight. We all want our children to turn out right. We all want our children to have dreams and hopes of, 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 uh, of grandeur. Are you living that in your own life? Are you modeling that for them? We must show them. Next, notice we must speak to them. We must speak to them. Uh, You model righteousness to your children. And then after that, you communicate that to them. You communicate that to them. Um, I was sitting down with my children watching a, a show the other day on the on the couch and um, there's a in, a in one of the movies we were watching, there's this, a part where the child looks out the window at the star and he gives a message to uh, a loved one. And the loved one is staring out a window several hundred miles away, staring up at the same star. Well, this is teaching astrology, right? This is teaching kind of a new uh, new age, new ageism type message. And 
I, I paused the movie and I pointed out to my child what was subliminally trying to be conveyed. You know what I was doing? I'm speaking to them. There's a difference between being judgmental of someone and using it as a lesson to teach your child right from wrong. And I got to say, it's your job, it's your duty to raise them, to communicate them, to articulate these things to them. And uh, let me just say here too: be careful that you don't get caught saying the same 50 phrases over and over again to your children. How many of you um, thought to yourself as a teenager, your your mom and dad would go into their you know their monologue, and you think, oh. I will never say that line to my child one day. And then you catch yourself saying that line to your child. You think, oh, what am I doing? I said I wasn't going to do that. Get creative with how you speak to your children. The third one here, and this one's going to maybe blow you back a little bit, but give me a moment to explain this, okay? We must shelter them. We must shelter them. Now, the whole concept of sheltering children has been um, ridiculed and poked at, made fun of for years. Um, let me just say this morning that I was a sheltered child growing up. My uh, dad is an assistant pastor at the Central Baptist Church in Southington, Connecticut. He moved up there to work in that ministry uh, from Maryland after I was an adult and out of the house. And by chance, we landed in Connecticut. Uh, we weren't attempting to move up here, but it, uh, the Lord led us up here. So now they're just about an hour up the road. And my father has been in the gospel ministry my entire life. My parents have sheltered me. They have guarded what I have watched. They practiced what I am preaching today very carefully. And I was sheltered growing up. Can I tell you something? I got married at the age of 23, very, very young. And I just graduated Bible college just Seven days prior to my marriage. So I left home and I moved into college dorms. There were lots of rules. And I moved right out of the college dorms and I moved right in with my wife. Okay? And so I left the sheltered environment at 23 and I entered the real world. Can I tell you what didn't happen to me? I did not pull up to a McDonald's drive through and hear the person on the other end say, Can I take your order? I didn't go, Oh. I'm out in the real world. What do I do? And then have my wife snuggle up to me and say, it's okay. You can do it. (laughs) That didn't happen. Yes, I was sheltered. And I'm so glad I was. Throw that next slide up there for me. Here we have a picture of uh, strawberry plants. Make sure everyone understands those are strawberry plants. Okay, I know in 2017 you have to ask what that is. (laughs) Those are strawberry plants inside of a greenhouse. Now, not a very good greenhouse. but This is the best picture I could find to really illustrate the point. When I was a 13 year old boy, um, I was hired to work at a, a peach farm by a deacon in the church we attended and This was northern Alabama, and, you know, I know it doesn't get as cold down there as it does here, but nonetheless, it got cold. And so they would uh, shelter these strawberry plants when they were little seedlings inside a greenhouse, inside a greenhouse. And then in about the end of March, uh, we would show up and we would take these uh, out of these little plastic bins And they were little squares, little squares of soil, and we would drop them down in the field once they had reached, say, the teen or young adult uh, uh, life uh, of their of their growth. 
they were sheltered from the elements while they were seedlings because they weren't going to make it through the winter. Once they reached the point where they could make it on their own, they were transported into the real world. You can throw that next slide up there for me. This is what I did. I, I, we, got, we got paid per, uh, per bushel that we pecked, uh, picked. Uh, we would go through and pick the uh, strawberries, and they'd pay us per, uh, per one we picked. And I, and I would do that. And i got to say, those strawberry plants, the farmer there was excellent at what he did. Now, if I could just equate your child to a strawberry plant just for a minute, I understand that uh, uh, the parallel will begin and end here. Shelter your child the way the farmer shelters that plant inside the greenhouse. Boy, the world wants to rain down sin all over your child. The world wants to pollute that child's heart at a young age. And that home that you have is meant to be that greenhouse that shields that sin away. Listen, uh, Mom and Dad, don't watch horror flicks in front of your kids. Don't desensitize them. i got to say, I don't know that it's really a good idea for you to watch them. But definitely don't watch them in front of your kids. You guard their hearts. The day will come like me. I grew up to an age where I was able to be transplanted in the world. And here I am. I've now been married ten and a half years. I've got two uh, beautiful children. And uh, God has uh, uh, allowed me now to live out in the real world. And I think I'm doing okay for myself. That's the goal. That's the goal. So when I say shelter your children, that's the idea there. Let me give you quickly. We'll move through these quickly. A number three and a number four. Number three, the ignorance of many parents. Can we flip over to Proverbs chapter 28? Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. I told you this morning it would be like drinking out of a fire hose. I was going to give you more than really uh, you could take in in one sermon. And so I hope that you will. Circle back and let's do it online on our website or uh, get a CD out of the bookstore and hear it again. Look at verse 26 there of Proverbs 28. It says there, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. You know, I, I have gotten to a place in my life where I realize I can't trust myself. I can't. I've shared this with the church. I've got safeguards on my phone. My wife uh, is sending an email every month. She sees my, uh, my web browser history. And uh, there's another pastor friend of mine in the ministry. He gets my web browser history, both on my computer upstairs and on my phone. I'm careful. I'm very careful. You know why? Because I, I don't trust myself. Um, we have passcodes on things at home that only Angela has. And, and uh, you know, if I find myself awake at 2 in the morning and I stumble out in the living room... There's not really a whole lot of trouble I can get myself into because most everything's blocked off. And that's because I don't trust myself. I've gotten to a place in my life where I've realized that my flesh is weak. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak, as Paul said. And I can't trust myself. But we're talking not about ourselves. We're talking about parents this morning. Let me give you a letter A and a letter B here. First of all, this is the ignorance of many parents. Letter A, I can trust society. I can trust society. You know, many parents... You might outwardly say that you don't trust society, but look at the safeguards you have in place or maybe the lack thereof. Are you, in essence, saying, I can trust society? Are you, in essence, saying, yeah, you know, uh, if I leave my 15-year-old at home uh, with, uh, with cable TV and a cell phone that has no blocks on it, I trust him. 
If that's what you're saying. Again, Proverbs says we're not even supposed to trust ourselves. This is the ignorance of many parents. Um, What was it that uh, one of our founding fathers said? He said, expect what you inspect. Expect what you inspect. Letter Letter B. I can trust my child. I can trust my child. When I was a teenage boy, we lived in the state. This is back when I lived in the state of Alabama. Um, there was a, uh, a young man in our youth group who was my age. I won't say his name uh, because I, the chance of, with the way the Internet works, someone may see it. And, and I, I don't want to embarrass anybody here. But there was a young man, a young lady, and they, they, they began to date each other. And the dad really had the oblivious, I trust everyone, trust my child mentality. The parents of the boy knew better, but still didn't quite have all the safeguards in place. And uh, this young man and I uh, became friends. And I learned later he was using our friendship so he could misbehave with this young lady. And we, uh, uh, I'd go over to his house some Sunday afternoons and hang out. And uh, I found increasingly that he did not want to go to his house. He wanted to hang out at my house. Well, the reason was, is uh, we lived in a house directly across the street from the church and this young lady's parents were in choir practice. And so he would uh, go over to the church about uh, the time choir practice would start and him and this young lady were fooling around while no one was watching. Well, one day, I'm just going to show you here how ignorant teenagers are. Okay, Uh, we had a one of those churches with the graveyards with a graveyard in the back of our church. This couple found their way. Uh, into the graveyard and they were uh, they were petting. We'll just put it like that. And they were doing it right behind the pastor's office. Now, you can't be any more ignorant than this. Now, the pastor had blinds, right? But the pastor walks over. He's meditating on his message and he pulls up the blind to look out the window. And there's that couple standing five feet away from him all over each other, oblivious to the fact that he's right there. You say, oh, my child would never do that. If your child has the same sinful blood flowing through their veins that I have through mine and you have through yours, then your child is capable of anything. You say, but my child uh, is a good child. He's well behaved. She's well behaved. Um, I got to tell you, I was a teenage young man and I was pretty well behaved. That didn't mean my parents knew everything I did. The ignorance of many parents. Number four, and lastly, we see the intention of godly parents. The intention of godly parents. Go back where we where we began today at Hebrews chapter eleven. We'll finish with this. As we read this passage here, the the emphasis is on Moses, but I want you to think this through. Moses became this because he had a mom and a dad who wanted him to become this. They worked hard to get him going this direction. Look at verse 23, and I want you to think about the mom and dad behind Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and that and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Because when he was young and moldable, his parents got him going the right direction. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
esteeming the reproach of Christ's uh, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Look at verse 27. By faith, again, by his parents doing, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible or seeing God. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians is saying to do were drowned. Moses would be one of the greatest men of faith in the entire Bible. Many of you have seen movies about the parting of the Red Sea. I know there was an old film back in the 70s or 80s that was put out, I believe, about that. And uh, Prince of Egypt was put out years ago by Disney. And there's been many portrayals of it. If you've grown up through church and Sunday school, you've heard the story and you know how great of a man that Moses was. But the hand that rocked his cradle taught him those things. The hands that rock the cradle are the hands that end up ruling the world. So rock the cradle wisely. Rock the cradle wisely. And as your child grows, you do your best to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. You do your best to intervene. You do your best to raise that child to be godly. Psalms talks about as arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, so are children of their youth. One day you're going to take that child and you're going to reach back in your quiver and you're going to grab him or her. You're going to load him, him or her in that bow and you're going to fire that child off in the world to make a difference. The time you spend from birth until they leave the home is your work, is your work of making them as straight as possible to love the Lord and live by those principles. Parents, you have a great responsibility. My challenge is that you'll do it well. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life where I put my faith and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and I have accepted his gift of eternal life. I have called on his name. I have asked him to forgive me my sins. And I know that when I die because of my faith in what he did for me, I know that I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not I am not relying on myself or my good works. I'm simply relying on Jesus and his sacrifice for me. If that's you and that's your testimony today with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip your hand up for me? Would you slip your hand up? I you say I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. Amen. You can put your hands down. There were several of you that raised the hand. Most of you raised the hand. There were also several that did not. If you did not raise your hand, I just want to say thank you for your honesty. My friend, the most important thing that you could glean from church today is not a parenting tip. It's an eternal tip. It would be tragic if you were to to suddenly die in the next 24 hours and not end up in heaven. Especially when the Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says that ye may know that ye have eternal life. My friend, don't walk out of our church today without having your eternal account with God settled. Is there one here today that say, Pastor Lejeune, the truth is if I were to die, I don't know for sure, 100% for sure that I'd go to heaven. But I'd like to know that. 
My friend, my goal today is not to embarrass you or call out your name. That's why everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. But what I would like to do is pray for you. So if you don't know for sure you're going to heaven, would you very quietly and quickly slip your hand up and back down so I can pray for you? Is there one today? Thank you. Is there another? Is there another? To the one that raised your hand, let me just uh, have you look up here at me, if you wouldn't mind. Everyone else is not looking, just me and you. Going to heaven is very simple. You've got to call on the name of the Lord and believe out of a heart of faith that Jesus Christ lived and he died on the cross for you. And I would like to encourage you to do what many others have done over the history of our church. That would be that when the invitation begins, we'll have several people, they'll come and kneel and they'll pray. Pastor Mike's right here. He would love to have a lady take the Bible and show you from God's word right here on the front pew about how you can know you're going to heaven. And so if you're willing to do that in just a moment, we'd love to have you come down and get, get that taken care of. Thank you very much. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, I see through the sermon today there are some... There are some ways I can tweak my parenting. There are some things I can do to be a better parent or grandparent. Pray for me, Pastor Lejeune, that I will do my best to shelter my children and provide for them that chance at life to serve the Lord uh, with a heart of righteousness. If that's you and you're here today, would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. Many hands, many hands. Lord, I do ask today that you'd help us as parents, those are here that are parents, to do so with a heart full of faith. Lord, may we do so with a commitment to the Bible and a commitment to truth. May we communicate to them the right messages by the way we live our life, by not only the words we speak, but the tone we speak them in. And Lord, by the way that we uh, uh, inspect uh, and expect out of them. I pray that the sermon today would encourage us to raise children that are righteous in such a wicked and sinful world. Thank you, Lord, for a chance to look at this in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar's open. Mom and Dad, it wouldn't be a bad idea for you to take, your, take each other by the hand and come and kneel down here at the altar and pray together and ask that God help you to do your best you can to be a parent or grandparent. Be a good, it'd be a good habit to get into. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, again, I would encourage you to come and Allow somebody to take the Bible and show you how you can know that before it's eternally too late. Let's make decisions this morning while the piano plays. Continue to pray there at your pew while several others make decisions for the Lord here at the altar this morning.
one more verse of invitation. You can be seated just for a moment here. We have a decision uh, that we'd like to enter or announce to the church. Uh, Jason and Joy Magnarella began coming to our church about a year ago, last January. And uh, I've got a good time getting to know them along the way. And Joy has come uh, from a Catholic background and has been in our church about a year. We sat down about a month ago and I talked to the two of them and just answered a whole bunch of questions. They answered a bunch of my questions Joy was baptized here Friday night during our addictions deliverance meeting and had made a profession of faith before coming to our church and uh, has followed the Lord in baptism here at our church and they are ready to join. So we'll have the two of you stand and uh, with Jason and Joy Magnarella, if you're a member here and you're excited about accepting them in our membership, you just give a hearty amen. We're thrilled to death to have you guys on board and official members of our church. Very good. Thank you. And uh, at the, uh, while I'm praying or while the service is being prayed to be concluded, you can go on to the back and stand there. The way people can, can congratulate you on this decision. Let's stand and be dismissed this morning. Thank you so much for coming today. If uh, you're visiting, my wife and I would like a chance to get to meet you after the service. We'll be standing in the back of the auditorium there. We'd love to have a chance to shake your hand. And so uh, we uh, always enjoy having uh, guests here. And the longer you come, the less of that title you'll have. So keep on coming. Amen. And so very good. We'll close the service with a word of prayer uh, this morning. I'd ask Ben Salinas, if you would, close us in prayer.